Who are the elite athletes? They are the men and women who have dedicated themselves to a level of achievement in a sport that most can only dream about. Whether they reach that pinnacle of success in high school, college, or in the pro game, the vast majority of these great athletes come to realize that their time at the top is only a few years. What does life have in store for them for the next 50, 60, or more years? What challenges and barriers do they face along the way? After the Glory is the show that features conversations with elite athletes as they talk about what led them to greatness and how their special skill set has prepared them for life beyond the playing field. Gary Stern and Lucy Sang are passionate admirers of elite athletes and are proud to bring you their stories. And now, the host of After the Glory, Lucy Sang and Gary Stern. Welcome back to all our listeners on After the Glory. This is Gary Stern along with Lucy Sang. And on this edition of After the Glory, Lucy and I welcome a gentleman who embodies the notion of a life of meaning and purpose, both in the business world, in the insurance world, in the world of sports. He is one of the most respected leaders in the world of life insurance, who became a baseball player's agent at the dawn of free agency in the 1980s and 90s. As the founder of the Beverly Hills Sports Council, Dennis Gilbert became what USA Today in 1993 called the most powerful man in baseball. Mr. Gilbert eventually left the world of player agency became a special assistant to the owner of the Chicago White Sox, became the founder of the Professional Baseball Scouts Foundation, and as an influential philanthropist, especially for the community where he grew up, helping kids to realize their dreams through the RBI Youth Program. But Dennis Gilbert did not begin life preordained for such accomplishment. He grew up in the working-class Los Angeles community of Gardena, went to Gardena High School, where he fell in love with baseball, and dreamed of becoming a major leaguer. He was signed by the Boston Red Sox in the late 1960s, moved on to the New York Mets organization, and five years later found himself playing for the Mets Class A Visalia California League team, making $600 a month and getting $3 a day in meal money. After a year playing in the Mexican League, Dennis realized his dream was not going to be a reality. He was lost and uncertain. Dennis Gilbert could have gone in a number of directions. His was to achieve greatness in his chosen fields. And that is a man that we are proud to welcome to After the Glory. Dennis, it's a thrill to have you on our podcast. Gary, what a beautiful, beautiful introduction. Thank you so much. Let's uh, start in Gardena. I know you don't do a lot of interviews, but in watching an interview you did with Larry King and reading a profile by the LA Times, uh, former great writer, Larry Stewart, it's apparent that your roots mean a lot to you. Can you describe your upbringing in Gardena and your journey into athletics as a child and and into high school? High school, I I felt like, I felt a little lonely. I was shy growing up and I turned to athletics and worked hard every day to become better and better. And, uh, I was on the track team, on the baseball team, and ended up prevailing, and it all worked out real well. You went to school with some pretty famous people who, in their own right who became uh, uh, major leaguers. Uh, a couple of names come to mind? Doc Ellis, Enos Cabell were high school teammates of mine and good friends. And to this day, Enos and I uh, 
uh, still course. Out of high school, you found your way into the minor leagues. And we say on this show, we define the elite athlete as any athlete whose journey goes beyond the sort of what millions of kids do playing little league, maybe up until 12 or 13 years old. But somebody who makes the minor leagues, in our opinion, is an elite athlete. Tell us about life in the minor leagues. How different, perhaps, than the public perception of the well-off pro athlete. Uh, can you describe your life in the minor leagues? Well, you, you said it best when you talked about $3 a day for meal money. <laughs> I spent a lot of time at A&W having lunch. At that time, it was McDonald's, and that was it. We were lucky. Every once in a while, we'd have some food in the clubhouse. But, but other than that... There were times when you're, you're a little hungry. And travel. Uh, you're not traveling first class by any means, are you? Well, my favorite time, and you left this out, is I played a year in the Mexican League. And that year in the Mexican League, we had 16-hour bus rides. Uh, and, and those bus rides had very few stops with, with, with buses that were not air-conditioned. Yeah. That was back in wow. 1971. Yeah. It was a great league, though. The minor leagues, uh, of course, that we know that Fernando uh, went back and played minor in the uh, Mexican leagues uh, years after his major league career was over. And they, I read something recently on the 40th anniversary that we're celebrating this year of how he um, he was like a legend. So they take their baseball seriously there, don't they? Oh, they really do. Uh, Fernando played in Chihuahua, and I played in Costa Rica. Yeah. So what happened? Uh, obviously, uh, you tell, tell us as you tell the story, uh, you were pretty fast. You had a, a nickname. I believe the nickname was Go-Go. Um, but speed alone obviously didn't uh, uh, punch your ticket for you. What well, happened? I tell people I was a three-tool player, <laughs> not a five-tool. You know, I could hit pretty good. I could really run. And I could talk. Yes. <laughs> so I pivoted when I got out of the game into an occupation where I could use my tool of talking. And that yeah. was in, in the insurance business and in contract negotiating. Right. One of the things we talk about on this show is that sense that when you leave a sport that you had a dream to go all the way in, uh, some people adjust well. Some don't. How was your mindset as you began to hang up the spikes and looking ahead? Did you feel confident or was there some doubt? Well, in the beginning, you know, I tell people I had to sell furniture to supplement my income. It was my own furniture. <laughs> so that being said, you know, I really struggled for a long time. And it's hard to talk to people that you know and try to convince them that, they, that they're going to buy something that they can't see, smell, feel, or hear and make a living at it. So you had to be somewhat persuasive and have some credibility. And knock on wood, I developed both of those skills. I'll tell you what, Lucy, uh, this is just the beginning of, of a wonderful life. Uh, with Dennis Gilbert. Uh, let's talk about that transition into becoming not just an elite figure in the world of life insurance, but how he uh, brought that skill to uh, athletes and entertainers and others. Uh, when we come back, 
with Dennis Gilbert. This is Gary Stern and my partner, Lucy Singh. We'll be right back. Role models, they can make all the difference. In our world today, they have never been more important. One of the nation's most successful mentoring organizations is Jewish Big Brothers Big Sisters of Los Angeles. Their mission is to assist youth in achieving their full potential through innovative and impactful programs. And no nonprofit agency does it better. Jewish Big Brothers Big Sisters of LA serves Jewish children, boys and girls in our local community with a mentoring program that's been going strong since 1915. That's only the beginning. This nationally known agency owns and operates Camp Bob Waldorf. Its summer camping and weekend retreat programs enrich the lives of youth throughout greater Los Angeles. Then there's a college support program and last but not least, work that helps kids all over the world through the Teen Talk app. Want to learn more? Go to jbbbsla.org. Donate. Get involved. There's no better way to make a difference. Back on After the Glory, this is Lucy Singh with my partner, Gary Stern, and our legendary special guest, Dennis Gilbert. Dennis, you spoke about the skills that you had as a minor league baseball player and how that led you to success in life insurance. Tell us specifically what that experience like was going from being a full-time athlete to a totally different industry. Well, when I got out of baseball from the Mexican League, actually, it was my last year in 71, I was coaching over at L.A. City College, their baseball team. I was driving a Dodge van. Our first baseman's father was driving a Cadillac and coming up and what mm. coming to all of our practices. And so one day I went up to him and I said, what do you do? And he says, well, I sell insurance. I said, what is that? Come on and have lunch with me. So I went to his office and we had lunch. And after baseball season, uh, he gave me this script and he said, if you want to learn the life insurance business, you call all these newlyweds. Well, I was unequivocally the worst person in cold calling. I, I, couldn't get, <laughs> I could not get away with anybody. So I asked, where did these lists come from? And they say, well, they come from downtown at, at the marriage bureau, City Hall. So the next morning I got up early and went down to City Hall. And as people started walking out of City Hall with their marriage licenses, you know, it's this big yellow envelopes, I go up to him and say, hi, I'm the insurance guy that handles the newlyweds for LA City County. <laughs> just started hitting people up. Well, about a month into that, I got a tap on the shoulder and it was from a judge. The judge said, are you the guy harassing all these newlyweds? Wow. And I go, yes. <laughs> and he said, well, he says, Every Wednesday between 12 and 1 o'clock, I'm going to marry about 10 to 15 people. We need a witness. How would you like to witness these weddings? I give you a pretty good lead. I wow. said, that'd be great. So I went from there to then having lunch with this judge and going up to the rooftop of uh, City Hall and meeting a lot of district attorneys, public defenders, and started selling them insurance also and newlyweds and expanding my marketplace that way. And uh, at the end of my first year, I looked up and I sold about 200 and something policies, not having any experience at all. 
Wow. I, I, I love the hustle and I hear that you are quite scrappy. I appreciate that. Of course, you went into the entertainment business as well, managing lots of entertainment figures and sports figures. Did you see any differences or similarities between the world of entertainment and the world of sports? Well, I never managed anybody in the entertainment business. Okay. What, what I did was I do a lot of insurance business in the entertainment community. You know, very sensitive to people in the entertainment and sports world because generally their careers are short-lived and you find that most people don't take the proper steps to get those income streams that Gary and I were talking about earlier, like the Bobby Bonilla plan and having income uh, well beyond retirement. Yes, managing professional athletes and entertainers, at least that way, has been, you know, the love of my life and uh, my career. That's incredible. And can you describe how you brought your skill set of life insurance and wealth protection, uh, bringing this to the to your athletes, how that's really impacted these athletes? Was that something that you expected to have when you were in the minor leagues? No, no, no. When I was in the minor leagues, I had one focus and one focus only, and that was to play in the major leagues. And uh, it, it, well, it didn't work out. I was lucky enough to pivot to something else that I fell in love with, and that is taking care of people. I'm curious, Dennis, about the issue of trust. I, I imagine that, especially as a young man in those days, when you sell a product to that first person or the second, and it turns out the way they thought, and they look back and they say, you know, that Dennis Gilbert's a good guy. He, I, you know, he, 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 what he said, he's a man of his word, what he said matters. To the entertainers and the athletes, was that particularly important? And did word spread because of that? That is the the idea of your word being your bond, the idea of selling something that 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 you know that you're a salesperson. I would think that athletes and entertainers uniquely need that feeling of trust. And it sounds like you accomplished that. Well, I'm lucky enough to be on that short list. Uh, you know. The Bobby Bonilla publicity didn't hurt. You know, being able to give him a 35-year income of you know 1.2 million dollars. Uh, but we've done that a lot for a lot of other athletes, and we've also done it a lot uh, for some entertainers too. And you know, the great thing when you say on a short list, I imagine that takes a while. In your case, did the word spread pretty quickly in your early years, even before creating the uh, Beverly Hills Sports Council, just just in terms of people saying this is the guy to go to? Not at all. Not at all. It it took a while, although, uh, you know, having the credibility of my first client being George Breda Hall of Famer. Yes. uh, Wasn't wasn't a bad thing. (laughs) And and then having uh, won an arbitration for Brett Saberhagen. And picking up clients like Bonds and Piazza didn't hurt. We had some big clients, Jose Canseco at the time. Yeah. And one of the things that we're about on this show is that transition for athletes. And I'm curious at this point, you've brought up some incredible names. What have you observed over the years representing athletes, becoming friends with athletes, knowing that some will have longer careers, 10, 15 years, others, shorter careers. 
what have you noticed about their ability to transition to their own lives of meaning and purpose when their sports careers are over? Do most do well, or are there some that need a helping hand to transition out of the sport? Most people need more than a helping hand. In fact, they go around looking for menial jobs. And it's not menial, but I mean, to be a minor league coach and to ride the buses against once you've played in the big leagues, that, that's so sad. Or having to, to be a scout, even though you love the game, it's, you know, you, you do things because you want to, not because you have to. And I understand we have to break. <laughs> Boy, you, you, you are a man who is uh, very attuned to the media, as you noticed our, uh, our thing. We're going to go a little deeper into the world of, uh, of the Beverly Hills Sports Council when we come back on After the Glory. This is Daryl Wayne here to talk to you about the co-creator and co-host of After the Glory, Woodland Hills lawyer Gary Stern. When Gary's not talking to elite athletes, you can usually find him doing what he's been doing for almost 45 years, navigating the world of government. As a college student and young professional, Gary helped folks deal with federal and state agencies through his work as a caseworker with a local congressman and state senator. That work prepared Gary for a career as a consumer lawyer. Today, Gary still helps people in all walks of life, but his passion nowadays is his service as a mediator, mostly in cases like the ones he's been handling for over four decades, where people have been injured in accidents or in connection with their employment. You can learn more about Stern Law, the law offices of Gary N. Stern at his website, www.sternlaw.org. That's S-T-E-R-N. Or you can call him at 818-710-2717. That's 818-710-2717. And we're back on After the Glory. This is Gary Stern with my partner, Lucy Sang, and our very special guest, Mr. Dennis Gilbert. Dennis, uh, one of the things that you didn't mention because you're modest by nature is that even as you were getting your feet wet in, in insurance, you never really left the world of baseball. You did a little work on the side as a scout. Uh, there's a Hall of Famer that named Eddie Murray that you might have a story about. One of the first things I was doing when I was coaching, I was also coaching a team in the scouts league for the Baltimore Orioles. And my shortstop's name was Chet Lemon. And my first baseman's name was Eddie Murray. And those two kids were really good. And unfortunately, the Orioles didn't sign Chet, although he had a 16-year major league career. Uh, they did sign Eddie Murray off our team. And uh, I got all the credit. And, uh, of course, he went on to become a member of the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, the Beverly Hills Sports Council Agency. How did that come about? What were the factors that led you to get involved in, in, in representing athletes uh, in a formal way that resulted in the creation of that uh, really rather legendary sports agency? It started out with Tony Canigliaro. Remember that name? He got hit in the uh, face, never was the same. Yeah, that's right. Well, he was my roommate in winter ball one year. Oh. And Tony and myself uh, were starting, a, you know, or Tony wanted to start a sports agency. He was doing uh, the news at Channel 7, I believe, or Channel 5 up in San Francisco, and left there and came down here to start a sports agency. I financed it. And then Tony had the heart attack, mm -hmm. went into a coma, and I took over. 
Next thing you know, I inherited some of his players and uh, I brought Bobby Brett in, George's brother. So when you bring George's brother in, you inherit George. Right. And George called me up and said, Dennis, uh, my brother is having a tumultuous relationship with the owner of the Royals. Can you handle my contract? I said, absolutely. And I flew to Kansas City and worked a deal out. And next thing you know, George is a a client and made recruiting a lot easier. Now I have an insurance agency and a sports agency. It's an incredible uh, thing. The Beverly Hills Sports Council and uh, under your leadership, your player list, of course, for our listeners, uh, none of these names will be unfamiliar. People like in addition to George Brett, and you mentioned Jose Canseco. Then, of course, there was uh, Barry Bonds, Bobby Bonilla, Mike Piazza, Kurt Schilling, and Ricky Anderson, Trevor Hoffman. By the way, re- regarding Mike Piazza, I heard all those people talking about Fernando Tatis hitting that ball over the uh, pavilion at Dodger Stadium, and nobody remembered that Mike Piazza did the same thing uh, many, many years ago. Remember that? I do. I also remember... Uh... I think it was Stanton, the outfitter for the Yankees, hit one out. Yes. And I think uh, uh, somebody else did, too. I mean, I've seen about three or four balls going out of the stadium, and that's only because I I have no life. I go to the games almost every night. (laughs) And, of course, we, we know where you sit because you're on that darn camera, that center field camera every game. But I'm curious about the news media painted it very plainly, that you helped to transform the salary structure of pro baseball. Obviously, free agency and the advent of it had a tremendous impact on that. But you clearly brought a mindset about the welfare of athletes who, as you mentioned, are going to have varying levels of career length, and then are going to have 30, 40 years of life to go. How did that come to you, the idea of of, of the structuring of the salaries that to this day is the standard way that a good agent uh, works for his player? Well, my, in my own mind, I've always had the philosophy, it's not what you make or what you have, it's how much you keep. And so I really believe in deferring, making sure the players, let's say they're covered for disability insurance because I have the, the insurance background, that they're covered for uh, life insurance. You know, and they're also covered for uh, for their retirement income. There's a big gap between the time that they get out of baseball and before the major league baseball pension plan kicks in. So what's that old saying? Most people don't uh, plan to fail. They just fail to plan. Yes. And, you know, I follow that. And I always say getting to the top starts with the first step. So what you want to do is you, you want to get people in on stuff as early as humanly possible. And so if you uh, take a minute, you, you can, you know, just Google some of the stuff that we've done with some of the players, you know, Dennis Gilbert, Bobby Benier, you know, we'll talk about the way we've created income streams for a lot of people through the years. Love it. Well, Dennis, you know, in 1999, you sold your interest in the Beverly Hills Sports Council and began to leave the sports agency world. Why? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's <laughs> a great question. Now, 
I was getting older and my players were not. Mm. And, you know, when it, you know, here I am in my 50s at that point in time. And, you know, there, there, I have three kids and all the traveling that was going on is not where I wanted to be at that point. Plus my insurance practice was really busy and really going, uh, running, running at such a good pace. I felt more comfortable in that space than I did in, you know, chasing after guys in high school or college or, you know, kids in their early 20s. It wasn't easy to relate to them, uh, you know, as it was in my 30s and even 40s. Well, when we come back on the next segment of After the Glory, we'll talk to Dennis about his reputation of being a hard worker and how he got his nickname when we come back on After the Glory. Hey, this is Lucy Sang from Resiliency Coaching. I am a certified mental performance coach focused on working with athletes transitioning into life after the glory days of sports. I help like-minded people become high performers and thrive in all areas of life. My goal is to serve as your accountability partner and offer different perspectives as you make tough decisions. Learn more about me on Instagram at resiliency underscore coaching, R-E-S-I-L-I-E-N-T-S-E-E underscore coaching. And thanks for tuning in to After the Glory. Back on After the Glory, this is Lucy Sang with my partner and co-host, Gary Stern, and our special guest, Dennis Gilbert. As we mentioned, Dennis, what is the story behind GoGo? You have this reputation of being a hard worker and no one could ever outwork you. Where does GoGo come from? What's the origin of this nickname? It started in Waterloo, Iowa in 1966. Uh, we were playing Minnesota's minor league club and I was with the Red Sox at the time. And the catcher on the other side was somebody who I knew, Rick Dempsey, who was also a local, who ended up catching in the big leagues for the Orioles and the Dodgers. And what happened was I came up to the plate and I was stealing a lot of bases at the time. And the fans all started with these signs that said, go, go, Gilbert. So I got on first base and I'm yelling at Dempsey, I'm going first pitch. Go ahead and pitch out. He did, and I stole second anyway. And the fans <laughs> erupted. And, and from then on, my teammates started calling me Go-Go. <laughs> the game, Dempsey and I went out and had dinner. We became friends, uh, closer friends ever since then. And, of course, as, as everybody knows, uh, Rick Dempsey was behind the plate at the 1988 World Series with Oral Hershiser uh, bringing that championship to uh, Los Angeles. All right. Sorry to interrupt, Lucy. It's okay. It's okay. We're He's a hell of a guy and a hell of a catcher. Definitely. Absolutely. Well, the one and only go-go, huh? Yeah. The next phase of your professional life is with the Chicago White Sox and the influential owner, Jerry Reinsdorf. Can you tell us about the nature of your work that you've done over the years with the White Sox? It all started when I met him in 1985. So I met Jerry negotiating the contract of a young player who never played in the big leagues by the name of Ozzie Guillen, who later on managed the White Sox to their World Series. Wow. So wrote 
the infamous Rowan Heeman, who should be in the Hall of Fame as a general manager. And I just couldn't come to an agreement on how much money that Ozzy got because he, their side said, well, he never played in the major leagues. And I said, well, you, you just traded Lamar Hoyt, a Cy Young Award winner for him. So he's got to have more worth than just getting minimum salary. We went back and forth and I said, look, I'm ready to hop on a plane and come to Chicago. That's how strongly I felt. And Roland was nice enough to pick me up at the airport. We went over to Jerry's office and uh, we sat down to negotiate the contract. And I won't tell you the story that went on in that, that negotiation at the end of the day. Uh, Ozzy ended up with three years in signing bonus. Wow. And it was a, a very nice deal for somebody who's never played an inning in the major leagues. And of course, a wonderful manager. Uh, uh, you know, there's a great uh, quote uh, from uh, Jerry Reinsdorf, uh, according to an article in the uh, Long Beach Press Telegram uh, written by Doug Krikorian. Um, Jerry Reinsdorf said, quote, about you, Dennis. He has helped us in many ways. Dennis is such a nice guy. He reminds me of a Jewish mother, always concerned and worried about everything. He's very caring and very generous. Those are some pretty special words from a very, very, very prominent owner in the major leagues. But, yeah, but that's the way Jerry is too. He worries about everything and everybody, and he takes care of people. There, there are widows of players who passed 10, 15, 20 years ago that he still takes care of former White Sox people. People don't know that about Jerry, but Jerry's a, a very, very special person. And through the years and negotiating contracts with the White Sox, Jerry and I became very friendly. And to this day, he's, he's almost like that. And, uh, and of course, he lets you do your work from uh, L.A. You don't have to be in Chicago. That is correct. Yeah. 2009, you formed the Gilbert Group. Tell us about your work. Well, it, it's just an extension of, of you know, just selling insurance. And we're, we're doing things that are so specialized uh, in the entertainment and sports arena or high, high net worth uh, arena. We can do things that other people cannot do uh, only because of the volume of like my partners and I, uh, we've capitalized on some of the connections and some of the open door policies and some of the opportunities that we've had. Uh, our company has merged with a company called Paradigm. It's now called Paradigm Gilbert. Mm -hmm. uh, wow. We do, we do everything from policy audits, which I don't think any other Southern California insurance firm does. And to uh, premium financing in a way that no, I'm sure no other firm uh, has the ability to do what we do. And we have the sophistication of one of our partners is a certified actuary. Another one is, you know, financial planner. I mean, we're over the top as far as being competitive in the life insurance arena is all I can tell versatility well, is a virtue. Huh? Yeah. You know, I tell you something, uh, we're going to do one more segment. Uh, we only got a, another minute before we take a break, but I want to just have you take a minute and tell us about uh, RBI. Um, you've helped to found 
reviving baseball for uh, inner cities uh, in your home community area. How did that come about? Well, it was John Young's dream. John Young was a catcher on a baseball team that I was on growing up. John was a, a catcher, and he went to Mount Carmel High School, which you probably never heard of. So uh, John played some professional baseball and then became a scout, but he always wanted to take care of the kids in the inner city. And uh, he wanted to build a stadium. He wanted to do some special things. And uh, I gave him the seed money. This was really John Young's baby. And he put hours and hours of his life building it and actually started RBI. And like I said, I just wrote a check. Well, it's an, it's an incredible organization. I know I've donated to it. I attended a benefit some years ago with Matt Kemp uh, for uh, benefiting RBI. It's just a, a wonderful organization. Uh, let's come back and talk a little about the incredible work you did for the uh, universe of scouts, unsung heroes in the world of baseball. When we come back on After the Glory, Gary's turn, Lucy Sang and our special guest, Dennis Gilbert. Dr. Linda Malkus on Cancer and City of Hope. I call this place the field of dreams because if you can dream of a new therapeutic, be it a biologic or small molecule, cell-based therapeutic, you can make it here and deliver it right to the patient. The mission is cure, and everyone is looking in the same direction. City of Hope is a leading innovator in cancer research and treatment. Find out more at cityofhope.org. And we're back on After the Glory. This is Gary Stern with Lucy Sang and our special guest as we wrap up this very, very special edition with Mr. Dennis Gilbert. You know, Dennis, uh, earlier this year, the, the Dodger family lost a great man um, uh, who was a scout for the Dodgers uh, uh, for many, many, many years. Uh, he passed away at the age of 99, uh, but he got to start as a scout uh, for the Dodgers and uh, um, signed Ted Sizemore, among others. And I remember hearing stories just about uh, how the, the life of a scout can be somewhat nomadic. Uh, you helped to create something called the PBSF, the Professional Baseball Scout Foundation. How did that come about? It was during the winter meetings about 20 years ago. I was sitting and having a Coke without a remark. And uh, a scout came up to me by the name of Dave Yoakum, a White Sox scout, and said, can you have a meeting with Rowan Heeman and myself? This is soon after I joined the White Sox. They were talking about how baseball scouts were getting fired that year and how some of them uh, were losing their homes or, get, or didn't have enough money for rent or medical uh, when they got fired. So... They asked if I could help get something started. And they figured that because I had a business background, I, I'd have some ideas. So on the back of a napkin, we drew up the Professional Baseball Scouts Foundation, Dave Yoke and myself and, and him and Harry Miner, actually. Uh, we went to Harry Miner, who was like uh, a very well-respected scout in the Long Beach area. We decided to put this association together. I went to a lawyer, set up a, a foundation. We started doing fundraisers. And we found that the very first thing that we did was, is when a scout would get fired, 
we would automatically pay as COBRA mm. because their COBRA premiums were like 500 a month and these guys were jobless. Right. Yeah. And next thing we do, we would help them with rent. And that's what we did for mortgages. And through the years, we raised a few million dollars and paid out a few million dollars in benefits. And of course, those dinners in uh, Century City usually, or uh, Beverly Hills, those dinners became legendary for the quality of the people that came. And it was all because of you. I mean, people come when you ask. Well, incredible. it was because I asked the right people to help me ask <laughs> the right people. I love it. So as we wrap up this episode of After the Glory, we want our audience to know that Mr. Gilbert has been the man of the year, so named by the Anti-Defamation League, a Lifetime Achievement Award winner at the Gardena High School 50th Reunion, a 1998 inductee to the Southern California Jewish Sports Hall of Fame, which Gary, of course, is a board of directors on, and was the first inductee into the Los Angeles City College Hall of Fame. You're also an honored member of multiple associations and trade groups regarding life insurance, life underwriting, and financial advisors. So Dennis, as you look back on such an impactful professional life, what lessons do you think are important for young high school and college athletes to take from the example of your life's work? Well, the first thing I attribute a lot of it to my wife. Wow. I've been married now 43 and a half years. Amen. Knew her a few, knew her a few years before I married her. <laughs> she's been the heart and soul of everything I've done professionally and morally and literally. I mean, it's Wonderful. You, can, you can't do it without a great teammate. Next, I've been very blessed with, by working with very, very smart very diligent, hardworking people. And you and I've learned you cannot do this alone. You, you meet good people along the way. You're lucky enough to latch on to the good people and, they, and to help them and to have them help you. And that's the best lesson I can, can relate to. Amen. Dennis, it's been a privilege and an honor to have you um, join us for our uh, podcast, After the Glory. Uh, we've had some wonderful uh, guests, uh, elite athletes. Um, you're an example of an elite athlete who uh, developed perhaps one of the most impactful lives in the world of sports in the last 50 years. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, go White Sox and go Dodgers. Gary, thank you for having me, Lucy. Been a pleasure. Mark, Daryl, thank you for working this out. Thank you. Lucy and I hope you enjoyed this edition of After the Glory. As we leave you until next time, we want to thank our team. Our producer, Mark Allen, executive producer from Podclips, Mike Anderson, and our sound engineer and editor, the insane Daryl Wayne. We are also grateful for music by T. Dan Hofstede. And as we close out this episode of After the Glory, we honor our guest with our theme song, written and sung, by my brother in baseball, T. Dan, the master of music from the islands and the slack key guitar. Until next time, stay safe, healthy, and athletic. Living the dream on a shooting star. Hometown crowd cheering what you are. Living large and riding high. Razzling and dazzling across the sky. 